Samuel chapter number 10 and verse 17 is where we'll begin reading. And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the kingdoms and of them that oppressed you. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near... The tribe of Benjamin was taken, and when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken, and when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come thither, and the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. Now, in other translations, this actually uses the word instead of stuff to us. Stuff can mean a lot of things, but if you was to read this in other translations, it would say baggage. He hid himself among the baggage. But I want you to pay close attention to this. It says that, when they sought him, he could not be found. And then it later says that the Lord spoke to them and said he had hid himself among the stuff. I want to preach what the Lord, I feel, has laid upon my heart today. This is no time to hide. This is no time to hide. I want the Lord to help us. We need his anointing. I understand without it, we're nothing. How many knows without the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we're just like anybody else. I remember Samson saying in the scripture that if you take away this consecration, he said, I'm like any other man. Well, you take the anointing away from apostolics and we're just like anybody else. But it's the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost that makes the difference. And that's what we need here today. Why don't you lift up your hands to the Lord along with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we are asking God in your name that you would touch and minister, let your work be done here this morning, your complete will be manifest in this house. Touch each and every life and heart that is in this place. I pray, God, your word would penetrate through any barriers and any obstacles. And God, strengthen us through your word. Help us through your word. Help us to receive it and mix our faith with it. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. Why don't you give a hand clap of praise unto the Lord right now. Come on, let's do it with all of our heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, I love you, Lord. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The famous football coach, Vince Lombardi, in speaking of athletes, made a statement he said, the greatest tragedy in life is not to try 
and to fail, but it is to possess a gift and to do nothing with it. And I would have to agree that there is nothing sadder to witness than to watch someone that has potential, that has promise, that has maybe a calling upon their life, and to watch that individual meander through life and live in the mediocre and never realize, never reach, never ascend to that God-given potential. All of us, all of us have a calling, I believe. I don't believe that God created any one of us just to, just to exist, just to survive from day to day. But I believe with all of my heart that each one of us that is in this room, God has a purpose and a call for our lives. We, of course, know that that call begins with salvation. I understand that every person in this room is given an opportunity to come to the Lord and be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be born again of water and of spirit. I believe the Acts 2.38 message is an opportunity that is afforded to all mankind, anywhere. It's not just for a particular people or persons, but we know that God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to salvation. But if we will be obedient to his word and we are born again, it's really then that we start living. It's really then that we see clearly what it is that we've been created for. A lot of us spend a lot of time out groping in the darkness of sin trying to find our way. But I'm going to tell you it's futility to try to discover yourself in sin trying to use the, the substitutes of this world to, to find true joy, to try to find completeness, to try to find peace, to try to discover one's purpose in life. But I believe that God gives, well, the Bible says that He gives good gifts to men, that He gives us talents, He gives us anointing, He gives us calling. But it's up to us we know that along with the calling that God places upon our life, there comes an expectation. And I have seen people, and you have too, witnessed them, and you could see that there was extraordinary gifts that God had placed in their life. There were things that God had, had placed within the capacity of that individual that far surpassed the status quo. In comparison, perhaps, with others, uh, they were far and away above average. And we know with those doors of opportunity and with those things that God places in one's life, it's up to that individual to flesh those things out. It's up to that individual to decide within themselves that I'm going to do what I must do. I am going to put forth the effort. I'm going to be disciplined enough. I'm going to be submissive to the Word of God. I'm going to yield to the Spirit of God in my life and allow Him to lead me into everything that God has created me for and everything that He has promised 
that I can be. You can have all the advantages in the world, but if you don't realize them, in other words, if you don't do something with them and you just allow them to lay latent within your life, uh, it's, it's possible to have gifts, it's possible to have talent, it's possible to have ability and to never realize it, to never allow it to become and never develop it, never have the discipline to allow it uh, to increase in your life. It's important that whatever God gives us, that we allow it to grow and to increase in our life through His help, through His grace, through His Spirit enabling us. Aren't you thankful that though you may not be all that you desire to be, you may not even be all that God has called or purposed for you to be, but you're a long ways away from what you were when God found you. And you can see marked progress in your life along the way. And you can see that God is bringing you in this journey to greater things and greater places. Amen. That's what living for God is all about. Amen. And I'm so thankful that, that when we come to God, it doesn't matter in what shape we come to Him. It doesn't matter what others think about us in regards to that. It doesn't matter how they've discounted us, how that they have said that we would never amount to anything. When we come to an altar, when we truly submit our lives to God, it's God that has the final say on what our potentials is going to be. It's God that can say, I don't care what their past is. I don't care where they've been. I don't care what stock they come from. I don't care if they got a pedigree. But I, I know what they can become because I have the power to help them and enable them to become what I've promised and what I've called them to be. I'm reminded of Esther of old. This lady that God had strategically positioned this, this lady that God had obviously anointed for a particular purpose. Now, I'm going to bring this home to you and I here in just a few moments, but let me just jump ahead and say, don't think that it's accidental that you live in the age and the time. And I know a lot of people say, why is it that I live in 2020? Why is it that I am a part of the last day church? Why is it that we are experiencing? Why is it that God chose me? You know, when we hit obstacles in our lives and we're challenged and we have situations that, that come up that we're confronted with, we don't know how to, to really face it or to get through it. Sometimes we get nostalgic about times of the past when it wasn't so difficult and it wasn't so uh, hard and, and, and things weren't so challenging Sometimes we can look at, back at that and say that's the good old days. And we long and we pine to go back to that time. But the fact is we're not going to go back to that time. We're living where we're at now for a reason and for a purpose. And it's God's intention that we make the most of our days right now. 
it's, there's a whole lot of promises that are yet to be fulfilled. There's a whole lot of things that God wants to do and intends to do if we could yield to him and surrender our lives to him and realize that God's not through yet. The church is still in the earth. There's still purpose. There's still potential. There's still promises to be fulfilled. I want to see them fulfilled in my life. Oh, instead of always pining for the past, why don't you make up your mind? I'm going to make this new year the best year of my life. I'm going to rise up, step up, and be everything that God wants me to be. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands, and let's give praise to the Lord right now. But Esther, I don't know if it was because uh, of the pressure of the day. I don't know if it was because of her youth. I don't know if it was because she had never experienced anything like this before. But she, in the moment when she was in the position to do something about what was happening among her people, she decided that maybe she would just rest in the comfort and in the peace of enjoying the palace and living in this luxurious kingdom that now she was a part of, not realizing that it was not happenstance that she was there. It was not coincidental. She didn't just stumble on to this opportunity, but God strategically placed her where she was. Again, I want to underscore the fact that God has strategically placed you and I in this period of time, placed us in the final stretch, I believe, before his coming, in the last lap, if you will, of this relay, God has placed the church here for a purpose and for a reason. You know that you always put the last, the anchor man in position when there's ground to be covered. When there's things to be made up, you always place your fastest. You always place your strongest, your most experienced as far as prepared for in that position. Can I tell you that if we'll have the faith and if we'll understand what the Word of God tells and reveals to us about these last days, that there is things that God wants to do through you. There's things that God wants to answer in your prayer life there's ministry there's anointing there's a call there's a purpose and we have to be willing we have to take the responsibility we have to be open to be used of God in that way that he has called us to I don't want to shirk my response it took a little reminder to Esther her uncle Mordecai said look if you choose not to be used of God. That's your choice. But can I tell you, don't be surprised if God raises deliverance from another source because God is going to use somebody. You don't have a corner market on this, in other words. You, you don't have a monopoly on this. That's the sound, beloved. Anyway, you don't have a corner market. You don't have 
a monopoly. God is going to deliver his people, and he's positioned you to do so. God is going to use someone, and if you will yield and be sensitive, he'll use you. And then he poses a question. A lot of times we make it a statement, but really it was a question. He said, could it be that thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Could it be that God placed you here and now for this reason? Can I tell you, you know, I was talking to an elder preacher this this week, and he said, you know, really, we ought to wake up every day. And this really resonated with me because it, it coincides with things that I've been feeling lately. He said, we ought to wake up every day thanking the Lord that we know this truth that we have uh, had the privilege of living, amen, for God and serving God and that we're in the church. We ought to wake up every day and thank God for a revelation of who he is, that we know him as the mighty God in Christ and we know his name. His name is Jesus. We ought to, we ought to wake up every day and just praise the Lord and thank the Lord that we've been obedient to this Acts 2.38 message out of 7 billion people plus that live in this world. He afforded you that opportunity. He gave you that chance. Somebody ought to rejoice. I don't need anybody to pump prime me when I come to church to praise God. I'm spring loaded. I'm ready. Amen. It didn't take much to activate me to want to clap my hands and rejoice because I know that I don't belong here. It's only by his grace. I'm not able to pull myself up by my own bootstrap but I'm here because of the mercies of God. Come on, anybody feel like I do? Anybody understand what I'm talking about? And I can't help but think that God has placed the church right here in the 21st century in the midst of everything that's been going on, more than just this global pandemic, more than all of that. I'm talking about all the unrest and all the struggles and all of the different I call it a conquest in the spirit world that has taken place. Can I tell you that none of this is coincidental, that you're a part of the church right now. And God, I believe with all of my heart, wants to use you. Let's don't start it again. We're going to make it. Maybe I'll shut this one off and get another. Can you help me get another mic? I can't help but believe that God has placed us right here, right now, for that very purpose and for that very reason. You can turn this one up a little bit. Maybe not. Turn that one off. Yeah. Everybody hear me all right? Oh, yeah. I know Brother Joe can hear me. We can hear him too. Praise God. That's all right. I like it when somebody's excited about serving God. We got enough wet blankets and deadheads in Pentecost. We need some people that's got some life. Somebody's thrilled. Somebody that's got the spirit on the inside of them. Somebody's still thankful for. Somebody hadn't forgotten what it is to be forgiven. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise.
And what I fear is we're living in a time when the world, they may not know how to articulate this. They may not really totally understand all that, that you and I know about it. But they are. They may not admit that it's this that they're looking for, but they are all looking. They are all on a quest to find, looking around for the church in this hour. Where's the church? Where is the people of God? Where can I find hope? Where can I find some answers? Where can I be helped? Where can I get strength that I need? And can I tell you, this is a period in time when the church needs to be a bright light. This is a period of time that the church does not need to blend in. It doesn't need to look and act and try to be like the world. It needs to be a church, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. This is what God has called us for. This is the time, this is the hour that the church needs to stand for. Come on, we need to lead the parade. We need to be out front. We need to celebrate like we've never celebrated. Amen. We need to rejoice like we've never rejoiced in our revelation. We need to share like we've never shared Jesus. We need to be a witness like we've never been a witness to this world. I remember, remember reading a story one time about, and some of you may have heard this story, uh, about a, a, a judge's courtroom, and there was a very heinous crime that was taken, had taken place against a child. This child was abused, and of course, the prosecutor wanting to make certain that this person that had abused this child, the perpetrator, was imprisoned for life had to recount in detail all of the, just how heinous the crime was in front of the jury and the judge that were seated there and the other spectators in the courtroom. And he, he began to meticulously go through these things. And it was so horrible. And it was so graphic. And it was more than imaginable to the human mind that anybody could be that cold. That anybody could could violate a child and, and do this to a child. And as it seemed like it would be coming to an end and you couldn't go any further with it, he would introduce more and talk about more until finally there was not a dry eye in the entire courtroom. Everybody was broken up and they were weeping. And at a certain point, the judge reached and got his gavel and he, and he beat it down on the table and he called the meeting to order, the courtroom to order. And he said, I, I, excuse me, he said, this is, this is not characteristic in a courtroom. But he said, I can't help but ask the question that everybody has in their minds. It was, a, I think it was a stepfather or a boyfriend that had, had committed these crimes against a child. And, and so finally he he raised the question that everybody had in their mind. He said, where is or where was the mother while this was going on? I've heard you talk about all of these occasions when, when this child was abused and, and, and it left scars. Not only scars physically, but scars mentally. 
upon that child. And I just have one question. If the mother loved this child, where was the mother when this was going on? Because it's not natural for a mother to sit and be a spectator when these kind of things are taking place. And so I, I, I want to ask the question. I, I believe that is, is a question that is being raised, I believe, from our world today. And that is where, where is the church? Where is the church in this hour? this hour when there's so much uncertainty, in this hour when there's so much that is hanging in the balance, in this, in this time period that you and I live in that is so crucial, where is the church? Where I'm telling you it's time for the church to stand forth. It's time for the church to be what it's intended and called and purpose to be in the world. It's time for the church to, to be, step out into the spotlight, if you will. It's not time for us to hide. It's not time for us to shirk our responsibility. It's not time for us to be careless or, let me say this, selfish. I'm seeing more selfishness than I've ever seen during the midst of this pandemic. People concerned only for themselves. Amen. Willing to risk everybody else. Willing to say, everybody else, you go down there and keep things going. But I'm not going down there and keep things going. I could care less. I'm only concerned about myself. I want to tell you right now, it's important that we step up in faith and realize that God, amen, this thing began with a Savior that was willing to lay it all down for you and I. And we We've got to be willing to carry this thing out by being willing to sacrifice a little bit. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands and let's give some praise to the Lord. And so this particular passage of Scripture, Saul, the first king of Israel, of course this was not God's plan, particularly at initially, and even it's spelled out in this passage of Scripture, but, but God allows for, for years after they generationally, for generations after they had came into the promised land, they had been ruled by judges, priests, and prophets, and this was the way that God had governed his people, but now they looked around them and they saw the Amorites and the Hevites and all the other ites and said, we want to be like them. I'm going to tell you, there's trouble down the world, down the road when the church starts looking around at the world and saying, we want to be like them. You're, you're headed for devastation when the church starts looking at the world and saying, well, you know, I, I'd like to, don't realize that there is an importance in our distinction that the church is a peculiar people. And the church has always been and has always been from the very beginning of time, even through typology, looking back through the Old Testament, has always been distinct and God has always caused them to stand out as his people. From a ribbon of blue in the Old Testament to today, we've always been people that have stood out. And that is a witness that we are God's people in the earth. And, and so they looked around and said, we want, a, we want a king like everybody else. 
they failed to remember that the Lord was the one, and he, again, helps them to realize this in this particular text. Can we just turn these monitors off? He helps them to realize this in this particular text by saying, I'm the one that brought you through the whole debacle in Egypt. I brought you out through the Red Sea. You didn't do that. I did that for you. And what makes you think that I cannot keep you? I know there's walled cities in the promised land. I know that there were giants in the promised land. I know that there's enemies to fight in the promised land. I know you got the Philistines uh, that are a constant threat against you. But can I tell you that I can? if I kept you then, I can keep you now. Hallelujah. Those of you that know anything about uh, higher education know that the the greatest crime in higher education is plagiarism. And, 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 and the only way to really circumvent that is to, uh, is to make a footnote or to cite a source. In other words, you make a little footnote up there that refers to a different place where somebody can find out where that came from. They can find out that this wasn't just originally with you, but you 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 got this from somewhere else. I'm going to tell you it's important when God blesses you, when God has given grace to you, when God has shined his blessings down upon you, that you put a footnote there and say, I didn't get here by myself, but I got here because God is good, because God has blessed, because God, come on, is there anybody that's got some praise in this place? You come to the house of God. I just want to give a footnote. I didn't get here on my own. I got the Holy Ghost. I got forgiven. I got baptized in Jesus' name because of the mercies of God in my life. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give some praise to the Lord right now. And so, and I'm, I'm hurrying to a close. Saul, he, he, he kind of stumbles onto this deal. He's out chasing his father's donkeys. And, and he, he can't find them. He's about ready to give up. The Bible said they came to a place called Zuff. And I always like to look at that and say, when they got to Zuff, it looks like they'd had enough. Because he turned to his servant and said, man, let's go back home. We're not going to find these crazy things. They said, well, there's a man of God that lives over here. Let's go over there. And it was all, I believe, orchestrated by God. And he goes over to the man of God's house. And just to make a long story short, the man of God begins to reveal to him what's going to happen, what's going to take place. And he says, just to seal it in your mind that you're going to become the king of Israel and God's going to use you to lead Israel. He said, here's what you need to understand. You're going to come upon some prophets, and there's going to be a change in you. You're going to prophesy. That, that's pretty big stuff because he was, again, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the house of Kish, or of the house of Matri, of the house of Kish, and the least of the least of the least of the least, and the poorest of the poor, in other words. And he said, me? Yeah, you. But he got over there, and as he's walking up this hill, and he comes on these prophets, they're prophesying, and he begins to prophesy. And, and he, this it should be a confirmation that God is going to do exactly what he said through the prophet that he was going to do in his life. And I'm hurrying. But, but the scripture says that when he got 
to the place where Samuel called all of the people together, and he said, I want to cast some lots here. All these tribes have come. Let's cast some lots, and, and that appears to be what happened. And, and, and so it falls upon Benjamin, and, and, and from Benjamin it falls upon Matri, and from Matri it falls upon Kish, and then Saul is called out of that number of people, and, and, and Saul is brought forth are called upon to come forth, and they start looking around and say, Where, where's Saul? He was here with us last night. Or why, why is it, you know, it comes time for the coronation. It comes time for us to elect a king. It comes time for us to make good on this. And where is he? And they start looking around and searching for him at the most critical time, the time when he's going to be crowned king. And finally, the Lord speaks to them and said, in other words, he's hiding. And they sought for him, the Bible says. And it couldn't be found because he was hiding amongst the stuff. At a time when he was needed, at a time when he was to step up into the calling that God had for him. It, it's intriguing to me that this happened like this. And I'm going to just give you a few reasons why this occurred in his life and why is it that this man was unwilling to step into the call and the purpose that God had for him. I think, first of all, he was intimidated by the possibility. Somebody said, well, he already had, had done something that he had never done before. He prophesied God used him in a way that he never used him before. But you notice that he was standing among the prophets and they were prophesying when he was, you know, a lot of times it's easy to do something that somebody else has already done. But there had never been a king before. There had never been a leader on this wise before Israel. He had heard of prophets before. It's easy to do something that somebody else has already paved the way for. It's easy to compare yourself to somebody else and say, well, if they did it, then maybe I can do it too. But when you got to blaze a trail, when you got to pioneer something, when you got to step out and do something that's never done before, sometimes we can be intimidated. And that was where Saul was at. He was a little intimidated because it had never happened like this before. Can I just preach to you today that God in these last days there's going to have to be some folks that are willing to say you know what I hadn't seen it done at a church and across the country I hadn't seen it done through somebody else in the church that sits on the pew beside me but if God's calling me to do it and if God is anointing me to do it and if God is in it I want to be willing I don't want to say it's impossible just because somebody else hasn't done it because I hadn't witnessed it or saw it done with somebody else. I want to be willing to step out and blaze a trail and have revival in these last days. Come on, clap your hands and let's give some praise to the Lord. Just because they couldn't doesn't mean you can't. Amen? You have to have faith. It's kind of like those, those doors. You ever seen those those doors that are that are made for wheelchair entry and handicap entries and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can open one of those doors without pushing that button, but it's not easy. Matter of fact, you got to put your shoulder into it, you know. And and I've been over there saying, man, Lord, what is the deal? What is the deal? Now, what's the deal? What is the deal with this door? Why won't it open? 
man, it's a lot easier when you just push the button. Or if it's got a sensor, you just keep walking. And it opens up. If that sensor's broken, you've got to push on it. Or maybe there's a heavy door and there's another entry over here. You know, Target, I don't know why they just don't make them all sensory. You know, able to open up when you walk through them. But some of them, they got the, the manual ones. And then they, I guess for the people that just want to be tough, they got the manual ones that you have to walk through. And I know it's not a big struggle, but you take a child and they're pushing against that and they're pushing Get over here, baby. You can just walk through. I'm going to tell you, God, when we're in his will, it's not a struggle. It's not a difficult thing. It's not something that's arduous, but you can just walk through it. Amen. You can walk into the next phase. You can walk into the next place. When it's God's will, it'll work out in God's time. When it's God's will, it's not going to be a struggle. It's not going to be a difficult thing. Somebody believe that. You ought to clap your hands to the Lord. Come on, let's give him some glory right now. I'm just about afraid to get up here on this platform. And then he feels inadequate for the times. Israel's got some enemies by now. I was just telling somebody last night, if you're blessed and if you're used of God, as I've said lately, you don't have to go around looking for enemies. You'll have enemies. Because people come against you because they're justifying their own inactivity, justifying their own lack of hunger and desire for the things of God. But you don't get ahead. You don't do anything for the Lord because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Israel had some enemies when they got into the, this is the promised land, this is where, but they still had some enemies that they had to fight. They had to fight and subdue those enemies and take the land. It wasn't just all a gravy train. And they needed a warrior king, but Saul didn't have any of that on his resume. Matter of fact, the only thing that we really see on his resume is he was tall and good-looking. You guys against tall and good-looking folks? That's a good thing to have on your resume, but I'm going to tell you when it comes time for battle, that's not going to help you a lot. And we got a lot of people that put a lot of stock in appearances and, and they put a lot of stock in, in, in the way things look. And, and, and they put a lot of stock in, in the way that a person uh, dresses themselves out, as it were. But I'm going to tell you that when you get on the battlefield, you can't fake it. It's got to be what you've got in your heart. It's what you've got down deep in your spirit. It's how much consecration that you really do have. You, you can't sell that, that, that fakery after you really get on the battlefield. It's going to prove what you are deep down on the inside of your heart. Because you can't look good on the battlefield. There's sweat. There's blood. There's torn garments. There's loss of dignity that takes place on the battlefield. And, and uh, it's going to take more than just being tall and handsome. So you're going to have to learn how to wield a sword. You're going to have to learn how to have courage to get out there on the battlefield and fight. But if you'll go, I'll fight with you. And I noticed that every time that David went to the battlefield, when he was outnumbered, 
when he was outsized. It didn't matter what the situation was. Just if he went to the battlefield, God was with him. God helped him to be victorious. God helped him to overcome. Saul never did understand that. He always wanted to number things. He always wanted to look and gauge things by size and experience. And maybe we can't win. Maybe we, it doesn't look, look like it's logically possible. David just had faith. If it's a giant, it doesn't matter. If it's the Philistines that, that, are, that are way outnumbering us, it doesn't matter. If God be for me, who can be against me? If God's on my side, I don't have anything to worry about. Don't get caught up just in appearances. Uh, get you an anointing on the inside of your heart that'll take you in places where you've never been before. And then finally, he's insecure about his past. That's right. You know, do you know where I come from? Do you know that I am I am of the tribe of Benjamin? Can I tell did I remind you? that that was the smallest tribe of Israel. And I'm of the clan of Matri, which is the poorest clan. And I'm of the household of Kish, which is the poorest of Matri's clan. So I'm just down here just as far down as you can get as far as qualifications are concerned. There's nothing in my past that says I'm ready for this job. Nothing in my past that says that I'm able to do what I'm being asked to do. And there's nothing that I can talk about as far as experiences are concerned that makes me feel that I'm able and that I am going to be successful in fulfilling this call. Can I tell you that so many times we allow experiences or even the lack of experiences. We allow our past. We allow situations that have occurred in our past. We allow them to disqualify us eternally when that's never been the purpose and that's never been the way of God. In fact, God sometimes uses those experiences in your past that are what you what you tried to cover up, what you've tried to hide. Once you're forgiven of them, God can even use them as a testimony against the enemy. God can even use them. Amen. He can use those situations and cause you to be victorious as a testimony that there is the ability to be restored. There is the ability to get back up again. There is the ability to stand back up and fight. There is the ability to rise above. That you don't have to stay down just because you've been knocked down. That you don't have to stay handicapped just because you've experienced some brokenness in your life, but you can be made whole. One of the greatest prayers that is ever prayed is in Psalms 51, when, when, when David is, is strayed away from God and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. 
And then if you read that, he goes on, let me be a witness, basically, against the enemy, that though I was knocked down, I didn't stay down. Let this be turned around as a testimony, amen, that you're able to help a man get back up. You're able to help a man get back in the game. You're able to help a man to rise again. Rejoice not against me, all mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. Would you stand with me right now? Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Amen. God can take those experiences that you thought disqualified you. God can take those situations you thought marred you forever. And He can use those experiences that you could help somebody else and dig somebody else out of the pit. Restore somebody else. Help somebody else to find hope. He can turn your past into a powerful, powerful testimony. I like it. Yeah, I suppose, you know, I, I like steak. I like, I like pork chops. I like all those things. But you know what? I guess it's just the preacher in me. I like fried chicken. Brother Joe, it's just me and you today, man. Fried chicken. There's not a, you know, you know I, I kind of doubt your calling to the ministry if you don't like fried chicken. But you know, not everybody can fry a chicken. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, I'm getting, you're getting on board now, aren't you? You know, I heard that this, this fellow that owns Canes, he'd come out of LSU and he turned in a little business plan to his professors there at the business school at LSU and told them, said, I want to make chicken and french fries. And they said, you can't make french fries and chicken and make it. You got to have more than that going on. Maybe some hamburgers, maybe some hot dogs, maybe some other things. He said, "No, the secret's in the sauce." And he said, he went right across the street from LSU. It's I think still there today. Went right across the street from LSU and built the first canes, and now they're spreading across the country like a prayer fire. Not everybody can fry a chicken, though. And. Uh, you know, I used to watch my grandmother, and so when I kind of watching different ones, I, I've never been much of a cook of any kind, but, you know, I, I've tried a few things, and I have found that all of my assumptions were wrong. When you go to fry chicken, first of all, you got to get it. You got to be particular about what you buy. You buy your legs and thighs or whatever it is, and you get it put down in there. You get it all cleaned up, and then you you put it down in that flour, maybe some Lowry sauce or, or what is the dust stuff, the seasoning. You put that on there. Angel dust. <laughs> you put that put that on there, and then you put it down in the pan. I you don't use. You, you can't really fry chicken, not real southern fried chicken, and use canola oil. You gotta use me like bacon grease or something like that, you know, some lard. Let that melt down in there. I mean, a heart attack waiting to happen. And you know, 
You don't turn the heat up too quick because if you turn the heat up too quick, it'll brown on the outside, but it'll be red on the inside. And that's not good. But if you're patient, you cook that chicken until it kind of starts floating in the grease a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Trying to help you. Starts floating in the grease just a little bit. And that means it's done. It's ready and it's edible and it's ripe. But you know, I used to think, if you're going to fry chicken, man, go get a pan and I'd go get the shiniest one. I mean the one you could see your reflection in. And those old timers, if they saw you doing that, they'd look at you like you fell out of a tree. Because you don't cook or fry anything in a nice, shiny, stainless steel pan. But you go get the ugliest, the most scarred and scorched iron skillet that you can get out of the cupboard. And that's what you fry chicken in because it's seasoned. It's had some experience. It's been scratched. It's been burnt. It's been that old stainless one. It hadn't been through anything. It hadn't done anything. So it can't produce much. It's not, it can't really do anything. It can't cook the chicken like that one that has been scorched and burnt. And, 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 and all of a sudden, when you, when you put that down and, and you lower that chicken into that, that grease of something that's been seasoned, you can turn out a product that somebody wants and covets to eat. Can I tell you that if you've never been through anything, if you've never faced anything, if you've never been burnt, you've never been scorched, you've never had some heat turned up on you, you may not really understand uh, how all these experiences are going to play in. But I want to tell you, when you've been through some things, you understand how to minister to somebody else, how to help somebody else, how to feed somebody else, how to help somebody else that is hungry for God. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? You've been through some things, but don't let it disqualify you. Use that. Use that to minister to somebody else. Would you lift up your hands to the Lord right now? Let's, let's talk to Him for just a few moments. Come on, let's talk to Him for just a few moments. Hallelujah. Let's talk to Him for just a few moments right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel his presence in this place as they prepare to sing. I wonder if there's folks in this place here this morning. Say, God, the world is looking. The world is searching for hope and help. and They're looking for someone that will give them some answers and supply them with some peace. God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me. I don't want to be hidden somewhere. But God, I believe you placed me here. You positioned me here. You put me here for a reason. Amen. Would you come to this front right now? Would you lift up your hands to the Lord and say, God, I want to be used. God, I want to be directed of you. I want to be sensitive to your spirit. I need your hand to be upon me. 
I need your touch in my life. I need you to help me and guide me and direct me all of my days. I don't want to fail you, God. I don't want God uh, to come up short in this hour. I don't want the world goes to searching for true church and a true anointing and true ministry. I want